All right, guys, welcome back to the study of Leviticus. Yes, we are plowing through. Here we are in lesson 53, and we're digging into Leviticus 4 and 5. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm actually excited about studying about burnt offerings. I'm excited about studying about, and it says Leviticus 2, grain offerings and cereal and meal offerings. You know, in Leviticus 3, it talks about this fellowship offering or this fellowship sacrifice. And the crazy thing to me is it's, there's another term, you know, a peace offering. And so they use these, these terms interchangeable. So sometimes I'm like, well, gosh, I get so excited, I get confused. <laughs> Anybody else ever read this and you're like, did I just read this? Or who's killing who? Or did somebody just get killed? Or why, where's the blood? And you're like, oh, my dear Lord. And so we just want to slow down and just, okay. What's the Lord saying here? Because in Leviticus 4, what you have is you literally have instructions that the Lord is giving to Moses that this is what I need to have happen. Now, remember in the burnt offering in Leviticus 1, which I have to say, I loved having those guys here with us just yesterday. It's just super fun to have them in here. You know, when you talk about Leviticus 1, we're talking about the burnt offering. So I'm going to go over here to the screen here. Think about this. They had just, at the end of Exodus, Moses had just built the tabernacle, okay? He had just built the tent of the meeting. He had just built, and yes, uh, the ark and the, and the mercy seat. He had just built all this. He put everything into place. He anointed everything. And now they got to know how to use it. It's kind of like a toy. I know it's a bad analogy, but hang in here. It's kind of like a toy and, and you have a manual like, how do I use this? God is giving Moses the manual that says, this is how you're going to interact with me. This is how you're going to have a relationship with me and I'm going to tell you how it happens. So in Leviticus 1, as we talked yesterday, this burnt offering, I need you to bring a bowl to the table. I need you to bring sheep and goats. I need you to bring turtle doves or pigeons. These are the kind of things that will allow you to be accepted by me, says the Lord. Well, that's just a little taste of all of the Israelites that they are expected to do in order to bring forth uh, their offerings. But now, now what happens in Leviticus 4 he starts to get very specific, and he's specific because of sin. Interesting enough, uh, Rooker, he, 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 uh, one of the commentators, he, he says that there are 595 times that the root word of sin is in the Old Testament. So 595 times. And so Leviticus is going to address the issue of sin. Specifically in Leviticus, 116 times the root word of sin is mentioned. And today in Leviticus 4 and 5, you're going to see the most root words of sin, 53 times, you're going to see this discussion of sin. And you're like, well, this is going to be a Debbie Downer today. Who, who wants to, hooray, we're talking about sin today. But I'm telling you, the reason that when you talk about sin is that God can actually forgive his people from the sin. That's what Mindy's painting is about. That's what this, this blood is about, this atonement. Remember, this sacrifice leads to the substitution or this imputation where the guilt of one person is transferred to somebody else or ultimately this atonement is going to lead because of somebody's death. We are set free. But all of that atonement is because of sin. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to identify people groups. OK, people groups that are sinning in the Israelites time. So if you go to verse one, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses. Moses, I'm going to give you a word today. And then he says in verse two, you tell the Israelites when someone sins unintentionally against any of the Lord's commands and does anything prohibited by them. You can keep it right there, Kevin. This whole sins unintentionally. I kind of read that and I'm kind of like, well, that's probably me. You know, like who doesn't just sin unintentionally? I, I'll give you a couple definitions, you know, about what does that look like? Dr. Tom Constable, he says a lot of times, you know, they violate the law without deliberate intent. Okay. It's so like they know what the law is, but they didn't intend to actually violate the law. 
So, but strangely enough, Wearsby, remember our buddy Wearsby back here, he says, ignorance though doesn't cancel guilt. So even though sin is unintentional, it doesn't mean, oh, well, you're scot-free. Well, really, I didn't, officer. I didn't, I never saw that stoplight. Well, you're still guilty. You know, like, officer, I didn't, I didn't really mean to. You know, you can come up with all kinds of, what kind of voice was that you guys think? That's like my cartoon voice. So my point is this, is that ignorance never cancels the guilt. In fact, Kevin, can you go to Psalm 19, verse 12? Psalm 19, verse 12, it it says to me that we all have these issues. Who perceives his unintentional sins? The psalmist says, cleanse me from my hidden faults. And so I, I feel like we all do this, you guys. We all walk through this. And so scripture has lined it up, designated it. So just in case you've done an unintentional sin, here's how you can be set free from it. I love this image, uh, this image from Nelson's. And Nelson just says, take example, a clothing. You might have a, uh, some clothing, but you might not know that your clothing is soiled. Okay. You might not know that your clothing on the back is dirty. Like you might just, you might not know it, but your clothes are, are dirty. In fact, I think my, my son Jude's goal is to always have dirty clothes. And I don't think that's unintentional, actually. (laughs) Anyway, I just, so my point is, is like unintentional sins still have to be taken care of. And so when you go to verse three, watch as this unfolds. Kevin, can you go to verse three for me, please? Uh, In Leviticus 4, three, if the anointed priest sins. So remember I talked about this people group, okay? Your very first people group, okay? that we're going to address, and there's some serious high expectations. One of them is for the, the high priest, okay? Uh, or it says the anointed, okay? So it says, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. Now, to me, that's crazy. What do you mean? Well, he's in charge. So if he's sinning, he's going to bring the guilt onto everybody. He's to present to the Lord a young, unblemished bull as a sin offering, okay? So here it is. We're talking about sin offering today. Yesterday we talked about burnt offering and today we talked about sin offering. You're supposed to bring an unblemished bull as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Scripture continues on, Kevin, if you would. You must bring the bull to the entrance to the tent of the meeting before the Lord. Now he must lay his hand on the bull's head. This sounds like what we talked about yesterday. He needs to lay his hand on the bull's head and slaughter it before the Lord. So again, the high priest is doing the work. Then in verse five, it says this, the anointed priest must then take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of the meeting. I just want to address this really quick, this word blood. Okay. I don't want to miss this because you're going to see in Leviticus, blood is everywhere, everywhere. Okay. In Leviticus three, two, Kevin, let's just, I'm going to start rattling off some verses for you. If you guys are sitting at home and you're watching this, I need you to start writing down some of these verses, but Leviticus three, two, Okay, at the very end, it says, Then Aaron's sons, the priests, will sprinkle the blood on all sides of the altar. Again, that's as a result of one of the offerings. Kevin, if you would, go to Leviticus 4, 5. I know we were just there. Go to Leviticus 4, 5. And I just want to start showing you that this blood in every context is essential. They must then take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of the meeting. So in order to have atonement, you have to have death. Death will always lead to bloodshed, Okay. Now, let's keep going. Go to Exodus 12, verse 13. So we're going to go backwards a little bit here. Exodus 12, 13. This is, I think you should know, I could even call on you guys, but this is the famous Passover. The blood on the houses where you're staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. 
when I see the blood, I will pass over. That blood comes from, remember Minnie's painting in the back here, this unblemished lamb, okay? That lamb had to die. So what happens? That blood is a marker, okay? So you have it in Leviticus, you have it in Exodus. Kevin, would you go to Isaiah 1, verse 11? So let's go to a major prophet here. Again, uh, I just want to show you the importance of how blood is every. What are, what are all your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. In other words, when the Lord thinks of burnt offerings, when he thinks of sacrifices, he thinks of blood. And he says, at this moment, it says to the major prophet, I don't want any more blood. So blood is an ongoing theme. Can I give you a couple backdrops here? Blood also means red. Kevin, can you go to Genesis 25, verse 30? Genesis 25, 30, again, uh, just trying to build a case of what this looks like. And he and says, so this is that same imagery, guys, that same imagery, that same word. Let me eat some of that red stuff. It has that same imagery because I'm exhausted. It's an interesting perspective. But now you don't need to go there, Kevin. But now he's going to start talking even more about the blood of animals, the blood of humans. You have a person's guilt in Leviticus 17, 11. Let's go there. Leviticus 17, 11 is the classic verse in Leviticus that talks about blood for the life of the creature is in the blood. And I have appointed it to you to make atonement. So the atonement comes from the blood. The atonement is what, yes, is brings about life on the altar for your life, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. So blood makes atonement. So I want it, when I go back to verse five, okay, <laughs> when I go back to verse five of Leviticus four, if you would, Kevin, Leviticus five, uh, four, verse five, the anointed priest has to take this blood. Why? Because it's the lifeblood. This is what's going to bring about atonement. And it's constantly throughout scripture. Now, so if you see in Leviticus 17, 11, that it is a lifeblood and it is essential that you have to have the blood in order to come before the Lord in his presence. You have to have it. That's what you're going to see constantly in the burnt offering. You're going to see constantly in the sin offering. Kevin, would you go to Hebrews 9 verse 22? Now we're going to give you a New Testament perspective of what's been taking place in Leviticus. According to the law, almost everything, look at this, is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So these priests in the sin offerings, they had to have the blood in order to come before the Lord in his presence. It's a cool picture. Leviticus 4, verse 6, it continues on. Ah, no, hang on. Let's, let's just go for the home run. Can you go to Romans 5, 9? Sometimes it's so easy. You're just like, oh, we'll get to it later. But let's go to Romans 5, 9. It says, much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood. His is capital. His is Jesus. His is the Messiah. The Messiah's blood, then we will be saved through him from wrath. So no longer are we dependent upon the animals. And I love what Scott Lane said yesterday or the, the crooked eye animals, you know. <laughs> like we, we're, we're saved by his blood, by Jesus' blood. Kevin, can you go to uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he says, in the same way after the supper, he says, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in it, remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, this blood is me. This blood is essential for you to understand who I am. In Leviticus, that's all you're going to get. You're going to get atonement, you're going to get blood, and then the scripture continues on in Leviticus 4, verse 6. 
The priest is then to dip his finger in the blood. And then he's supposed to sprinkle it. Look how many times. Seven times. He's supposed to sprinkle this blood seven times. And so watch. So he's doing it seven different times. But I'm telling you, he's in the essential place doing this. And then in verse seven, the priest then must apply some of the blood to the horns of the altar of fragrant incense. That is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. He must pour out the rest of the bull's blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. That is at the entrance, right, to the tent of the meeting. Now, just so you guys have an understanding, this altar of the fragrant incense, it's not known for having blood on it. You you typically don't put blood on this altar of fragrant incense. The reason it's essential is because this is the high priest that messed up. This is the high priest that says, oh, no, I really. And so you need to see a, a drastic purification that's taking place inside the holy place. Incense was normally burned, but at this time it was needed that the blood from the priest's sins literally uh, was covering it. You have to have it. The only other time that you're going to see in Scripture, aside from this, of when you're going to see blood sprinkled onto this uh, altar of fragrant incense is at the Day of Atonement, is at Yom Kippur. So like that's how important this time is. Okay, We're going to see one other instance coming up as well. I'm not going to get to that quite. Yet. So, Kevin, can you can you go to Hebrews 9, verse 4? Hebrews 9, verse 4. It's a pretty powerful picture here. Here it says, look, it contained the gold altar of incense in the Ark of the Covenant. And so I just wanted to show you guys, like, like I, this is going to sound really ignorant. These things really existed. You know, like sometimes I, th- I feel like when people read through these things, they're like, oh, but here you have the writer of Hebrews addressing what the people in the Israelites in the wilderness had. It's like you have to humanize these things. And so here you have this altar of incense right here. And then in verse eight of Leviticus four, it just says he is to remove all the fat from the bowl of the sin offering, the fat surrounding the entrails, all the fat that is on the entrails. So that the offer is supposed to remove all of the, the fat. In verse 9, it gets kind of weird. By the way, and the two kidneys with fat on them at the loins, he will also remove the fatty lobe. I just think that's probably one of the coolest phrases, the fatty lobe of the liver. He will remove the fatty lobe of the liver with the kidneys. Scripture continues in verse 10, just as the fat is removed from the ox of the fellowship sacrifice. So this is a comparison. You ready for this? For the peace offering. This is a comparison to the fellowship sacrifice. And the priest is to burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. And then it says in verse 11, but hide the hide of the bull and all of its flesh with its head and shanks and its entrails and dung. In verse 12, all the rest of the bull. So all of this, you ready for this? All of the rest of the bull, he needs to bring to the ceremonial clean place outside the camp to the ash heap and must burn it on wood fire, it is to be burned at the ash heap. Now, you could literally read that and be like, okay, so the high priest, he messed up. He takes the bowl, he burns all the stuff off, and he takes it outside the camp to a ceremonial clean place. And you go, okay, all right, let's go on. Let's go on to the next. You can just, Kevin, if you would, go to verse 13. Like, that's how easy we could read through that. Now, if the whole community of Israel heirs, if you don't slow down and say, how does this apply to the Messiah? You're going to miss one of the most significant things in all of the book of Leviticus. And when you're looking at this, you're like, well, what's, what's the big deal about outside 
the camp. Well, Kevin, if you would, can you go to Hebrews 13? Uh, to me, this is, this is really powerful. Hebrews 13, verse 11. And everything points to the Messiah. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into, what? The most holy place by the high priest. As a sin offering. Ready? Right for this? So as a, as a, as a sin offering, he's going to take this and burn it outside the camp. Hebrews 13, verse 12 says, Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Just hold up for there for a second. Uh, This verse right here, there's multiple versions as well, but when they're trying to figure out where Jesus died, this is one of the references. He suffered outside the gate. It's a cool image, cool imagery. But at the same time, you know what they're referencing at the same time? They're referencing what happened in Leviticus 4 when the high priest sinned, messed up, took a bunch of the fat and the the burnt offering of this bull and took outside the camp. Jesus did the same thing so that he could sanctify us. Why? By his blood. Hebrews 13, verse 13, the scripture continues. Let us then go to him, look, outside the camp. Bearing his disgrace. And then in verse 14, don't stop. It says, for we do not have an enduring city here. Hey, praise the Lord. Instead, we seek the one to come. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if I wouldn't have seen Leviticus 4 today, yeah, I'm sure down the road in my life, I'm sure I probably would have put this thing together. But it's like when we slow down and go deeper in the word of God, Jesus says, I'm everywhere. I'm even in the burnt offering outside of the camp with the the Levites and the priests. And so since this is not our our enduring city, he says, instead, I want you to seek the one to come. And in verse 15, scripture says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God. So as we come out to him outside the camp, outside of our temporary walls, outside of our where we live, when we come to him, we are to offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. We should constantly be lifting up the name of Jesus, constantly be praising who he is in our lives, confessing Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. And Hebrews 13, verse 16. So don't neglect to do good. And to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. I don't know, guys, th- th- these verses, come on, what, what stands out to you guys? When you read this, what stirs your heart? Is there anything that you want to say? The, the sacrifice, the offering, is a, it's covering their sin. And they have, because they're usually the ones coming before God, mm-hmm. they have to now take this, what's taken their sin and get it outside the city. You know, I, I just think I, there's so much that stirs up inside of me about this. That Moses, when he writes, when God instructs him to tell the high priest, I want you to do this. And then he ties this together with the Messiah. It blows my mind. It blows my mind that the writers could put this together through the Holy Spirit. And so that's just the high priest if he sins. You know, I told you there's going to be multiple people groups. You know, another people group in verse 13. You know, there's multiple ways we could identify them. You could identify them as a congregation. 
You could identify them as a community. Um, and so it says, now, if the whole community of Israel heirs, okay, E-R-R-S, okay, when they're heirs, I, am I saying that right? It just looks like it's misspelled. <laughs> when they err, it implies when there's a mistake, when they're incorrect. And the matter escapes the notice of the assembly. What? So if the whole community messes up and nobody catches it, but then it says, so they violate any of the Lord's commands and incur, incur guilt by doing what is prohibited, then the assembly must present a young bull as a sin offering. Does anybody have a problem with that verse? How on earth, Kevin, you go back to verse 13. How on earth, if the matter escapes the notice of the assembly, who caught it? Now, but it says the whole community. So here's a thought. I want to go with something with what you're saying, Kevin, with the priest. I don't have my buddy. Uh, what was his name? Charlie? Charlie the priest? Uh, you remember how he wore an ephod on top of his holy garments, right? And then he had the 12 tribes. And we don't really know where, uh, was it Urim and Thunum? Urim and Thunum? <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds weird. It's not like a Muppet right there. Hey, guys. Uh, anyway, we're Urim and Thuim, whatever you get my names. Maybe, remember how sometimes those things just revealed things? There's a thought that maybe that Urim and Thunum, 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 <laughs> just, I don't know. Like maybe that, that revealed it. Maybe somebody had a prophetic word. Somebody heard something. But either way, we do know that in verse 14, they had to present a young bull as a sin offering. And then what you're going to see with the congregation is that they're going to have to go through the exact same process that the high priest did. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. When the sin they have committed in regard to the command becomes known, they're to bring it before the tent of the meeting. Then the elders are the ones who put the hands on the bull's head. Then it's to be slaughtered. Then the anointed priest will bring some of the bull's blood. There's that blood into the tent of the meeting. Verse 17. Here's the process again. The priest dips his finger in the blood. And then Kevin, Kevin, he sprinkles it like this. Uh, before the Lord, or he sprinkles it like this, before the Lord in front of the veil. So in verse 18, he is to apply some of the blood to the uh, horns of the altar. That's before the Lord in the tent of the meeting. He pours out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. That's at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. And so he is to remove all the fat, burn it on the altar, and then watch what continues to happen. He's to offer this bull as he did with the bull in the sin offering. He will offer it the same way. So the priest will make atonement on their behalf and they will be forgiven. Then he will bring the bull outside the camp, burn it just as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. So when the high priest sins, there's a sin offering. You're going to take and burn everything outside the camp. When the congregation is there, they're going to do the same thing. I think that's really interesting to me. And the one thing I want to just say is the Jewish tradition in this story says that the congregation was the Sanhedrin. And why they say that, one is I want to naturally just say I don't know, but what they what I know where they're implying this is that the community involves the religious priests. So anyway, okay, so this congregation, if some people think maybe it's maybe it's the Sanhedrin, and the reason is is that some of the religious leaders, they would have been involved in the congregation. So if the religious people are counted as a congregation, you have to treat it just like if it was the high priest. That makes sense? And so there's some form of level authority in this community. Can we say that? Absolutely. No, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting perspective to have. Now, 
If you would, Kevin, let, let's keep going to, I think we're in verse 22. Here's another people group. It's really just one. Uh, when a leader messes up unintentionally. Remember, when we're talking about sin offering, right now we're talking about unintentional sins. He unintentionally violates any of the commands of the Lord his God by doing what is prohibited and incurs guilt. Guess what happens? This is the only time now, now and following, you will not see blood sprinkled on the altar of the fragrant of incense. You're not going to see that happen anymore. I believe it's because the high priest isn't involved or the religious priests aren't involved anymore. So now it's just what we would consider possibly either a judge, maybe even a king. But we do know that leaders have a position in the Israelites and they're very well respected. You're not supposed to speak evil against these leaders. But we do know that they're no longer uh, taken before the fragrant incense. They're only taken to the altar of the burnt offering. So you have the high priest and the congregation that's inside. And now all of a sudden the leader is just getting the burnt offering. Okay, so you see this progression. Now I want to just for the sake of time, Kevin, would you go to verse 27? Okay, so you have the sin offering for three types of people already. And then numbers, verse 27, the last one, this is the last people group, is that you're going to see common people. It says, now, if any of the common people sins. So really what that means is if you don't have a place of authority, you're not a leader, you're not uh, in any kind of religious role as a priest or the high priest, you're common folk. Okay, that would be you and me. And it says, when a person unintentionally uh, sins by violating one of the Lord's commands, does what is prohibited and incurs guilt. Or if somebody informs him about the sin he has committed, then he is to bring an unblemished. This is, this is why I want to go here for a second. This is where he can actually do a female or a male uh, in their offering. All the other ones, you guys, are males. The leader's just a, a male goat. Here you have a female and a male goat. Why do you guys think that is? I don't even necessarily have an answer for this. I'm just curious. Why do you think, Rich, you got any idea of why? If it's common people, my, my thought is, is because they might not have much to choose from. Yeah, they could be, uh, the female goats could be uh, more readily available. I just think as the, the, more, the less amount of money you have, <laughs> the less resources you're going to go to. And yeah, it, it just might be all I have is is the female goat. So watch as this just continues to unfold. High priests, congregations, leaders, and common people. And constantly you're supposed to be making, yes, the priest is supposed to be making atonement. Why? You want to know why? Because all of this, all of this needs to lead to forgiveness. All of it. And how does the forgiveness happen? It's pretty straightforward. It's always through the blood. Always. So whether you're high priest, congregation, leader, or common person, you too can have the opportunity to be forgiven through the sin offering. Kevin, can you go to Hebrews 10, 19 through 22? This is how I'd love to close out Leviticus 4, talking about the sin offering. Remember, it's, it's the blood that leads to forgiveness. It's the blood that gives us freedom. And it says in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by the new and living way that he has inaugurated for us through the curtain that is his flesh. So through Christ, we have a new way to approach. And it says in verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, look how it closes out. Verse 22, let us draw near. Let us come to what I would say the tabernacle. Let us come to his presence with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now watch this. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. 
because of the blood of Christ, we have been forgiven. Our hearts have been sprinkled, yes, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies are washed pure in water because of in pure water because of what Christ has done for us. You know, we can look at Leviticus 4, we can look at Leviticus 5 and say, gosh, there's a lot of sin offerings. You know, there's a lot of um, guilt offerings or trespass offerings that we're going to get to. But the reality is, is that all of it's going to point to the atonement, the substitution that Christ says, I'm setting you free. It's an awesome picture. And I hope you'll join us tomorrow as we continue to dig into Leviticus. Thanks.